Colter Nuanas from ESPN Montana here at the M Store. Proud to present our Nuanas Now podcast each and every day, available on all of your various podcast hosting platforms. One of their awesome partners, a guy that really is uh, helping spread the word about the M Store, is Grizz All American Junior Bergen. What's up, man? Thanks for coming in. Yes, thank you for having me. First of all, you got a cool t shirt. What's it like being on a t shirt? You're a kid from Billings, Montana, so that, yeah. might, that must be kind of surreal knowing there's a t shirt of you at the M Store. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, I went to a couple basketball games back home. And uh, I saw some kids running around with I their love shirt it. on. And it was really surreal. It was a cool moment, cool experience for sure. Uh, that's so cool. You guys do such a good job of embracing how much the community loves you. But when people are looking up to you like they do, I mean, they think, I mean, you're the man right now. for <laughs> <laughs> the University of Montana. What's yeah. that like being a Montana kid? Um, it's different for sure. Um, you know, growing up, you kind of look up to guys like who are in the NFL totally. and stuff like that. But, um, you know, it's just great to have a, a positive influence on these kids' lives. Um, you know, I just wanted to make sure... Uh, I set the example and lead by example and give them someone to look up to. Go check out the M Store. They're located there at the corner of Higgins and Broadway here in the city of Missoula. And you can also visit anytime online, MontanaMStore.com. They have all the latest and greatest, a whole bunch of original Grizz gear. And, of course, they have Junior Bergen T-shirts. Junior Bergen, proud partner with the M Store, as well as us here at uh, ESPN Montana. Thanks for swinging by, man. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me. The M Store, where they're all Grizz all the time. What are your business challenges for 2021? Supporting an increased remote workforce? Securing and managing your expanding corporate network? Communicating with your customers, employees, and partners? Whatever your challenges and priorities for 2021, Blackfoot Communications knows it all starts with a plan. We are here to help you assess, design, implement, and support your most critical technology infrastructure initiatives. Call Blackfoot at 866-541-5000 or email business at blackfoot.com to learn how we can set you up for success in 2021 and beyond. Blackfoot. Connect to more. It's 4 o'clock. Welcome to Tutel and Nuanes, Montana's only statewide sports talk show. Broadcast on 102.9 ESPN Radio for Western Montana and across the state on SWX Television. I like football! Now, sports talk from Montana for Montana. Live from the Kurtz Polaris studio, here is Ryan Tutel and Coulter Nuanez. Hello, Montana. The state football playoffs open tonight. The Seahawks got the Niners this weekend. And we got all kinds of everything for you, including the chick who doesn't know sports and our student of the week. Hi, how are you? It is Tutel and Nuanas. Ryan Tutel here. Colter Nuanas over there. All of you, wherever you are on a Friday afternoon. Thanks for letting us roll with you into your weekend. Hope you've had a great week. Hope you're excited about the weekend ahead. I know we got Halloween tomorrow, so, uh, you know, uh, boo, is that what we say? Uh, hope you have been uh, prepared for that and uh, stay safe and all those things. Okay, we know what the drill is. Uh, hope. Let's get into uh, what we got here today. Coulter's got his magazine out, so we'll, you know, maybe touch on that for a moment. But... Uh, tons of stuff, tons of people, tons of things going on. Open it up today. You know we've been doing this here if you've been following along at all. But Grizz Greats, the silver anniversary of the 1995 National Champions. It is our podcast series. Uh, it is up now. The first nine episodes are out. And in fact, as of right now, 
the 10th episode is out with Dave Kempfer, a Missoula native, the center of that football team on that offensive line, and a great conversation that we got to have with him. Uh, you will hear an excerpt from that conversation coming up here right in, right off the top of the show, and uh, you can go listen to that at your leisure over the weekend, uh, wherever you get your podcast or online at grizzgreats.com, so we'll get into that. We also will have, as we do every Friday, 12 from the 12s with Mike Dugar. Mike Dugar covers the Seahawks for the Athletic. The Seattle Seahawks coming off their first loss of the year. Also, though, they are 0-1 in the NFC West. They got the San Francisco 49ers who are surging on Sunday, so we'll get into that football game a little bit with him. We will have our Magic Firm Student of the Week, Katie Clyde, a senior out of Belgrade, Montana. We'll talk to her. Top of the hour, our Garden City Spotlight, Matt Johnson, the head coach of the Big Sky Eagles. Big Sky, the only Missoula area double-A football team in action this weekend. The Hellgate Knights are out of the playoffs. The Sentinel Spartans have a bye in the first round, so it is Big Sky who is in action. So we will talk with Coach Matt Johnson. They are on the road tonight at Kalispell Glacier. We'll get into that game and also do a little recap of the Hellgate season that was uh, some bright spots there as they continue to build and rebuild that program. And then, uh, obviously, a little look at the Sentinel Spartans as well as we look ahead to their uh, bye. Uh, well, they're in the bye now and look ahead to their uh, second round, their quarterfinal. Final uh, appearance against uh, uh, who, who, whatever winner gets through to them. We also, of course, on a Friday, our dear friend Carolyn, the chick who doesn't know sports, who has big, big news about Yellowstone, all you Yellowstone fans out there. So there you go. That is our show today. Uh, happy to have you along with us. A uh, couple of things here now. On Friday, we do this each and every Friday. It is time for our Florence Coffee Company coffee break. Coulter, what do you got over there? Iced Americano. Okay. To the veins. Have you ever had a drink that wasn't that? Oh, yeah. I've had a variety of them. Okay. I found my niche. You have. Here's the thing. You know this about me. I am actually not a creature of routine. I like to live not in routine to create unnecessary chaos in my life to stay (laughs) on my toes. (laughs) Stay on the edge. The one thing that is routine for me is drinking Iced Americanos. The reason is all about functionability. I think that all of the drinks at Florence Coffee are delicious. They are. Drinking a hot drink would certainly cause me to spill, swear, and otherwise on Lose the show. Lose your job, yeah, right. Uh, drinking a variety of the good-tasting drinks, uh, the sweet ones, you know, Huckleberry, all that, does give me the buzz that I would like. Yeah. So I choose to drink the triple shot iced Americano through a straw because I can drink it the fastest, the most efficiently, the cleanest, and it goes straight to the veins. Okay. I think those are all valid reasons. Now, I don't know if he knows this, but Reese, this right here, this is a Florence Coffee Company coffee for you, my friend. That's right. Reese, the producer, is flexing to us now. He's so happy about Reese doesn't this. even know that He's he had me belly laughing yesterday. On the yesterday. coffee deal. Reese, Reese does... Uh, Reese, listens to what, what we say, obviously, because he's sitting in the back. But sometimes he has hilarious reactions to when Ryan's acting like an idiot. And yesterday, Ryan we, was screaming no about something. And Reese paced back and forth, mimicking Ryan, screaming the no, and then walked out of the room. And he didn't realize this, but I was just cracking up. And you were like, what are you laughing well, at? Here's I'm the like, thing. dude, Reese is killing me right now. He's just making fun of you, and you can't even see we him. We got this great new studio. Oh, it's going to be fabulous. We're going to have the producer studio right there behind <laughs> glass so that you can have these 
communication. And then the orientation of this thing puts me with my back to everything that's actually going on when I should be facing over here. Yeah, you keep making 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 gestures in the back. Uh, anyway, that's uh, good. Listen, it's Friday. It's Halloween weekend. Am I right about this? It's, it's daylight savings? It is daylight savings. Boys and girls, get your weekend started off right. Go to the Florence Coffee Company. And today, if you, you still got time to take your pet with you in costume, get a picture of that pet taken, get it up on Facebook, and they're going to have a vote off and uh, give away great prizes tomorrow for the best pet in costume uh, uh, going through the Florence Coffee Company uh, coffee kiosk. But hey, stay up late, sleep in. It's the weekend. It's a holiday weekend at that Halloween. And, uh, you know, enjoy a little coffee from the Florence Coffee Company. Uh, Coulter, also, I should say this, some of our viewers on the TV side of this are looking at this, but um, somebody does not get enough love just in general from us. Uh, but our dear friend uh, and colleague, Rhonda, who mm. handles, mm -hmm. I believe it is everything. <laughs> Rhonda, help me. <laughs> uh, who the, the, she's the person that the the earth literally just stops spinning if it if it, if it's not going well for her or if she's just you know got to have a vacation or whatever like it's just Rhonda is just got so she's brought us cookies in um, plastic I have a Jason like you know like the is for Halloween right Jason no no, no. <laughs> Friday the thirteenth well, no but it's Halloween is what I'm saying the movie. No, the day tomorrow is uh, Halloween. I thought you were saying it's the movie. And uh, sure that's not Mike Myers from Halloween. Oh, well, you know what it is? It's Mike Myers from South Park. Like, this is I a think, South Park version. Mike Myers. Reese would know, but he won't talk. Anyway, our thanks to Rhonda for bringing us these cookies. How sweet of her. In addition to uh, making the whole radio thing happen, this is good. Okay. We've started strong here, <laughs> okay. Coulter. Okay. <laughs> it is time to get into. Grizz greats, shall we? Uh, yeah. Dave Kempfert, uh, who we'll hear from here momentarily, is center for the Montana Grizzly football team, the 95 national championship team. But we were counting them up, Colt. We were like, how many, you know, how many of these have we done? Because we've been sort of getting, you know, getting as many interviews as we can and going through them. We've got 21 interviews done, which represents roughly 21 hours of interviewing. Yeah. Uh, which is, you know quite substantial and i i don't think this is silly to say it doesn't feel like it in the least every one of these has been so first of all enjoyable on one hand and also uh, uh insightful and and sort of exciting some guys have been you know sort of more serious and direct and in, in, in the memories some guys have been very funny some guys have been you know uh, ha had a whole different perspective from anything that we'd heard before so all these have been really interesting but what we'll, we'll hear from dave here in just a moment but over the scope of what we've done here, you know, we, you and I are from this town. We're obviously aware of the 95 team. We were, you were, you know, you were pretty young, eight years old or eight something like old. that. I was in high school, uh, but we both have vivid memories. This may be your very first really vivid memory of Grizz football was this it 95 was. team yep, and that, that national championship game. And for me, it's certainly something that uh, was a, a banner landmark as it was for anybody that was in this town in western montana uh in the 90s and in 1995 and also representative not representative but sort of establishing much of of what was to come in montana football and the dominance that uh, uh that came after that championship but maybe what are some of the things that have stood out to you as we've talked to the the people right the players the coaches the administrators the folks that were direct 
parts of this that you go, man, okay, I didn't maybe I didn't know that, or that that sort of contextualizes better for me. Like what what if because we've learned a lot in this. Yeah, I think it's it's a it's an awesome question because I actually have thought about this quite a bit. To me, what I was indoctrinated indoctrinated in for Grizz football. So to give you my history, my family moved to Montana in 1993. My parents are not from Montana. My mom's side of the family actually is from Montana several generations ago, but no one had from our family had lived in Montana since my mom's mom had moved away from Helena when she was in her teens, and yeah. that was back in the 20s. So you're talking years and years and years ago. No, for right. no family. So we don't need no family ties. Uh, to the University of Montana or Montana State, and both my parents they went to a private high school in Sedona, Arizona. So there, it was a high school that offered activities like ballroom dancing and horse riding and taekwondo, but not team sports. So they were not indoctrinated in team sports whatsoever. So that as kids, we were not really either. We were provided the opportunity to play team sports. Yeah, and that's how our families met because uh, we lived in similar parts of Missoula. And all of a sudden, I'm on Austin Tutel's soccer team, and then all of a sudden, we're playing all the sports and. You know, when you live up north of town, it takes a little minute to get to town. So all yeah. of a sudden you're carpooling with all the like-aged kids. But all that's to say, I remember first going to observe the Grizz going to basketball games when Blaine Taylor was the coach. Yeah, yeah. And I loved guys like Brent Smith and Kirk Walker and um, Chris Spoya, all those great, you know, um, uh, Samuelson, who's Jared Samuelson's dad's name again? Mr. Samuelson. Mr. Samuelson. Sean Samuelson. How can I forget? He's like, <laughs> he was like my favorite player back then, Sean Samuelson. But, uh, no, but I remember going to the Wilma in 1995 to watch the national championship game and thinking, wow, this is amazing. And I remember reading the Missoulian and getting to know about these guys and starting to really idolize. That, that's what made me really want to become a newspaper writer too because back then the Missoulian had such an awesome staff from Ryle Cummings to Bob Meserol to John Casper to you know, all the great, Kim Brigham and all the guys that were writing at the, in the sports section at the time, Chad Dundas, they were all awesome, really great writers, and they were really encapsulating what Grizz football was all about. But I didn't consistently start going to games until the early 2000s. And then my best friends growing up were Jason Ty Palmer. Their cousin Colt came from Nebraska to come play for the Grizz. And so then we were kind of immersed in it. Every time we were at the Palmer's house, all the Grizz guys would be over there. And the Grizz won the national championship in 2001. But what I was immersed in, in terms of knowing the players, and then when I got into college, and then a bunch of my buddies were playing for the Grizz, and they were playing. So Joe Glenn, Bobby Houck, those are the players and teams that I was closest to. Those teams had such similar identities in what they did well, what they were all about, what the attitude of the guys was like. And it is very much personified in what you'd expect Montana football to be all about hit you in the mouth, play tough defense, all those things. The most striking part to me about this 1995 team is how much different that coaching staff was and how much different the way that they wanted to represent themselves within the the scope of the field of competition was. Mm. These guys were winning based on athleticism and intellect, not based on toughness. And that's not to say that they weren't a tough team. They certainly were. Fast forward to then my career covering the Big Sky Conference. When I first moved back to Montana – the Big Sky Conference had, for years and years, had a weekly coaches call, conference coaches call, right. with all the head football coaches from around the league. Mm-hmm. 
I was the only guy that was tuning in and asking every single coach questions because I just thought it was so interesting. I thought it was so fun to learn the league. I thought there were so many distinct characters and so many distinctly different programs in such distinctly different areas yeah. to learn about. Yeah. But a couple of the guys that I really struck a chord with that, that I was able to cultivate great relationships with afterwards and learn so much about football and about Big Sky Commerce football were Mike Kramer and Jerome Sowers. Jerome Sowers, he re, he reminds me so much of my grandpa. Not that he's that old. Obviously, my grandpa was born in 1909 in Arizona. That's going back. But but the 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 ability to captivate you with his storytelling ability, but also his, the ability to capture you from an intellectual perspective and put football into an intellectual box that you, or into an intellectual book that you can read, basically. Mm. That's fascinating. So then when I started to research Jerome's history, I realized he spent such a formidable time in his career at the University of Montana. So then I got to thinking about, well, you see Jason Krebo, this ferocious linebacker. You see Johansi Manzanares, Blaine McElmurray. But then you start talking to these guys. And I told Mike Boucher, middle linebacker from that greatest team, when he was in the studio yesterday, I said, that's the most striking part to me about this. You guys are all such introspective intellectuals so right. much different than what the pers- what the normal persona that people assume football players are i think a lot of the grizz teams in the 2000s were sort of the typical football players and that's a good thing i mean they were rough and tumble hit you in the mouth roll around together team unity all for one one for all and a part of that is because bobby Houck runs a very militaristic style program it is a band of brothers that's what he wants it to be so it makes sense that that's what their identity sort of was but it's been so fascinating to me to hear all of these guys remember and tell their stories because they're all such amazing storytellers because they're all such smart guys. Yeah. Almost all these guys, when you think of what Missoula is all about, the discourse, the great interaction with the community, you know, being able to go anywhere and have a conversation with anybody. Mm-hmm. All these a guys are arts university. Exactly. Yeah. All these guys are like, wow, you are like an outstanding intellectual liberal arts person who also happens to be a great linebacker or a great offensive lineman. And I think that's the best part. You know, we are talking about Dave Kempert. He's so smart. When uh, the guys that are from Missoula too, him and Boucher, the guys that went to Hellgate, you're like, man, you're a Hellgate guy, man. That's exactly what you are. You're a Hellgate guy. (laughs) And I thought that that was refreshing. And I think, I guess the last part about this is that I think has been so fun to listen to. And it's what you hope college sports is about, what you hope college football is about, but it's not always the case. All of these guys, they achieved this epic, memorable, unforgettable achievement when they were really young. And every single one of them has so much pride in that still. And not one of them has rested on their laurels. They're all individually No Uncle Rico's in here. No, no, no. They're all like massively successful, awesome guys that have great families. And that's what you want this to be about. That's what coaches always say they want it to be. But these guys are living it. And I think that is so cool because that's, that's what small school football should be about. What do you think? What What are the things that have surprised you? Yeah, no, I mean, I think I think everything you said is is accurate, and I think too that uh, twenty five years, regardless of whether you were twenty five or fifty, you know, or ten twenty five years ago, the distance in time of of the moments I've been like where I've been like, oh yeah, oh yeah, that, oh man, yeah, right, that that happened, and and and. Also, too, to sort of put a, I think, to the, I think this is maybe the first time for some of these guys when they've been interviewed in a long form like this about this in quite a long time, where 
they're all they're sort of contextualizing it for themselves on the fly. They're starting to think about you know that's the their place in history, not just them as individuals, but the team's place and their part in it in the history of of the school, of the city, of the state. And and I I feel like there's been some moments where. I, I've seen that happening in real time as they yes. as they're answering and talking about that no, stuff. No doubt, know? we interviewed Brian Toon, defensive tackle yep. from Butte, the other day. I was texting with him. He had, he's a really busy guy, and he runs a jewelry store over in Spokane. And when I first reached out to him last month, he said, "Hey, September's not going to be good for me. We got this big sale going on, and like I, I need to just push back a little bit." So then when I touch base with him again, he says. Um, I'm so honored you want me to do this. How much time do you need? I said, well, most episodes have been between 45 minutes and an hour. And he's like, I don't think that I can do it for more than like 20 or 30 minutes. And I said, here's, here's the thing, Brian, just trust me. I said, just come on with us and you'll roll. And what, he rolled for 57 minutes. Yeah, we asked like 10 easily. questions. Just roll it. <laughs> and that's the, that's the coolest part, though, is it, you're right. These guys almost, they trip down memory lane. Yeah. But that's what makes the podcast format so Awesome. I mean, we got Mike Boucher rolling yesterday. I can't wait to share that one with the city yeah, of Missoula. Yeah. He would Great. remember one memory and then be like, well, I got to tell you another story. Well, I got to tell you another story. Yeah. I got a story about this. Like, wait till people hear Wayne Hogan. Wayne Hogan, he came armed with five stories and told 20. <laughs> it, it was a phenomenal. But that, it's yeah. so fun to listen to people recollect and have the memories just come flowing back and washing over them. No doubt. Uh, the uh, Grizz Greats podcast series is brought to us by... First Security Bank and Blackfoot Communications. They back in 1995, there's a very good chance when you called your friends, families, colleagues on the other side of town, you were using phone service from Blackfoot Communications. And 25 years later, Blackfoot continues to keep our homes and businesses connected with state-of-the-art voice and internet services. Blackfoot takes great pride in celebrating the indelible mark left by Montana's run to its first national championship in football in 1995, and Blackfoot is excited to sponsor Grizz Greats, the silver anniversary of the 1995 national championship team. This 25-part series brought to you by Blackfoot, a proud supporter of Grizzly Athletics. Here you go, a little excerpt from our conversation with Grizz great Dave Kempfert. Well, Bring it back to football a little bit. You mentioned, you know, you were maybe not highly recruited and a, and a little bit undersized, kind of a late bloomer. What was it like when you first, you know, got to be on the team, but no guarantee that you're going to play maybe at any point necessarily? And what was the process like for you to try and grow into your role into an offensive lineman that you became, but especially in those first couple of years to be, you know, on the team? But what work had to go in to get you to a point where, you know, you could be, not just a, a, a player, but a great defense, a Division One level football player. Yeah, you know, Mick Denny, he laid down the gauntlet for me pretty quick. And when I was getting recruited, he was like, hey, you know, I, I got a very small partial scholarship. And, uh, and again, rightly so at that point, I hadn't proven anything. But um, he had kind of laid down some, some weight goals for me and, and, you know, had been very honest and said, listen, you know, I believe in you. I think you can do this, but this, this is what I expect out of you. And um, the expectations were very, very clear. And I remember going in and I think they gave me Steve Premock, who was an old lineman there. They gave me his bag of gear the first day. And, and Steve was a heck of a lot bigger than my little 230 frame. I think I was my freshman year. And, and uh, you know, nothing fit. I had to embarrassingly go back and say, man, I, I need a, a smaller gear because uh, everything was too large. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but for me, it was just, you know, I had always been kind of uh, – there's always been other guys ahead of me, put it that way. And, 
guys that people thought about more and expected were going to make it more. And, and I just had started to kind of come into my own, started building confidence. And, and with the, with the help of the coaching staff and, and playing with such a great group of guys, I just decided that, you know, there may be guys that work as hard as me, but, but nobody's going to outwork me. Um, so I would sit in the dorms and I had to gain so much weight and I'd sit in the dorms and I remember opening up three cans of tuna fish and a jar of peanut butter and just sitting there and just spooning myself anything I could to try and gain weight that first year, um, hitting the weight room every chance I got, uh, you know, watching guys like Scott Gregg and Frank Garrett and, and guys that were on the team and seniors and or older, you know, upperclassmen at that time. Um, and just trying to watch them learn as much as I could and, and definitely took my beatings that first year but tried to learn from every one of them. Do you remember how much you weighed when you first got to Montana? I played, I played offensive tackle in high school at maybe 210 dripping wet. So I think when I got to Montana, I might have been 230, 235. So I was definitely undersized. I, I hit under a lot of big quilted flannels and things that first year because I, I was a little embarrassed that I was the smallest lineman. So... So uh, later on, that wasn't a problem. I, I definitely came into my gut years later, but but at that time, yeah, I was I was definitely undersized. But you know, what? I, I wouldn't have changed it for anything. Um, I remember Scott Curry coming in and and talking to him when he was young about his size and and just telling him like, hey, listen, it, it made me a better player because I had to get good at technique. I didn't have as much beef to throw around as some of these guys, and and uh, it did. It made me good at technique. And then later on, when the strength came and the size came, and I started gaining weight and. And, and maturing, you know, and learning the game better, it, uh, it made all the difference in the world. That I think that I had started undersized. It, it gave me a fire. It, it made me work harder than 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 a lot of people, and and I think it, it made me the player I was. From a physiology standpoint, I know you work now, and you've worked a long time in physical therapy in, in that neck of the woods. But it seems to me there's two different kinds of theories for developing offensive linemen. One is recruit big guys and try to teach them how to move and teach them how to be athletic or recruit tall, lanky guys and tell them, hey, you already got the athleticism, get big. It seems like the second one has had a lot more success, particularly at this level of football, the University of Montana, Montana State, those schools. Why do you think that is, and do you feel like you're kind of an example of that? I think, yeah, I, I think I think you're right. I think from what I've seen in my experience, uh, not that there hasn't been guys that started big and were fantastic players, but but I would much rather. I mean, I got a 14 year old son right now, and and I think about it with him all the time. And I would much rather have someone who's got a little bit of a mean streak, um, knows how to turn that switch on, and is an athlete, um, and has the has the frame. And, and I think you got to be able to move. And I think people are really learning now that you know you can get big, but you got to have that athleticism. You got to have ankle mobility. And, and, you know, I look at it as a PT now, of course, I can't help but look at the world through, through those lenses. Now. And I look at, you know, ankle mobility, hip mobility, and, and obviously, you know, you always work on the things like playing with good pad level and, and footwork. And, and I just think that some of that stuff just doesn't come naturally to a lot of kids. And, and so they have to rely a little bit on it more on their size. Uh, my son, for example, he's, He's a big kid for his age, but he's by far not the biggest out there. But he wears a men's 15 shoe. He's 14 years old. He's coming up just just coming up on about six foot right now. But there's kids that outweigh him 30, 40 pounds. And I'm in the stands, and dads are like, "Boy, your kid's got to get you know get the weight on him, and he should come in at this weight next year." And and I kind of like nod and say, "Oh, sure, he'll get there." And, and in my mind, I'm like, "Nope, you know, I I, I don't care about him. You know, he's got to gain weight. He'll, he'll do it in his own time." But watching him get better footwork and play with great pad level and, and, and be an athlete. And of course, number one thing is, is still have fun um, and not, not make it too much pressure on him. And, and, and I think that, uh, 
he's going to come along just fine. And, and in the back of my mind, I'm not worried about it because I know it, it can be done. Well, with a size 15, he's like a weeble, right? He's not going anywhere. He just kind of bounce around a little <laughs> yeah. bit, but just pop right back up. He's like a big puppy right now. Yeah, he's 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 got a good base. We just got to work on getting a little more in the caboose, and, and <laughs> he'll be able to list some things here soon, I think. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, this is – I've been really excited to talk to you specifically, Dave, because we've talked to a couple of guys on the offensive line, Mike Agee and others, already. But for you specifically as the center and, and kind of the – you know, the quarterback of the offensive line and you, you you and Dave obviously working very close together in terms of play calls and protections and all that kind of stuff. But within the system that was Don Reed's, you know, uh, you know, offense and uh, and and the really cutting edge offense that it was, what was it like to play center for the Grizzlies and for him as a coach during that time with what all, all the things that you were doing offensively? Yeah, I mean, could not have played in a more fun offense. And and I'll tell you what, you know, you mentioned Mike Agee there, but but the guys that I played next to um, are such a big part of 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 why I loved what I did, and and not just being a Grizzly, but particularly being a Grizzly with those guys. Um, a lot of them grew up like I didn't had dreams of, of becoming a Grizz. Some guys came from out of state, obviously, um, but what a great group of guys to play with, and and I learned a lot from. From, from them as well. And so when I got moved to, to center, uh, I was, a, like I said, I was a uh, tackle in high school and, and I, I figured that probably I was going to get moved inside, but I got moved to center. I'd never played center. Um, and it was a struggle at first, uh, just, you know, different footwork and, and then learning how to read defenses more than you ever had to in high school. And um, just lucky I had the teachers that I had uh, poured over film, could not get enough film, uh, I still annoy my wife with how I watch the NFL and, and college games. So I'm constantly rewinding. <laughs> my son loves it too. We watch, we watch all the details, man. That's just what linemen do. But, but, uh, we don't watch the running back at all. We're watching footwork and first steps and all these things. But, but, uh, but moving to center was great. It was, it was definitely difficult at first, but really kind of when I was able to come into my own a little bit towards my, you know, the end of my sophomore year, um, and it was just a blast. It was a fun offense. It was a freewheeling, wide-open offense. Um, and, obviously, we used our short passing game a little bit more like the run game. I know if we had a 100-yard rusher, man, we were, we were just blown out of the water that we had a guy get that many yards because we didn't run the ball that much. Um, but, uh, but a fun offense to play in, and, and especially with our screen game and some of the other things we did, um, it was really, really nice when it came around to playoff time because you got a lot of these Southern teams that would come up and, and never seen anything like us before. And um, even though they had great athletes and great teams, I think that's why we were able to dominate it as much as we did in those, those last few years I was there. There you go, Dave Kempfert. His episode is up now. Uh, Grizz Greats, Silver Anniversary of the 1995 National Champions. That's the name of the podcast series. Go to any podcasting platform that you like, Google, Apple, Spotify, etc. You can download it and listen to it. This episode, again, is up now. You can also go to grizzgrace.com and uh, listen to uh, all the episodes just right there in a browser. Very, very simple for you. Culture Grizz Greats is brought to us by Blackfoot Communications and our friends at First Security Bank. The other thing that I thought was so surprising about this, well, not surprising, but refreshing, was these guys all talked about the hierarchy of leadership within the program and how they were scared of the older guys and how much the older guys passed on the expectations mm-hmm. to them. And I think that's something that's maybe missing in modern day college football. But Mike Boucher talked a lot about that. Mike Boucher's dad, Bill Boucher, at the time was the president of First Security yes, Bank. Yes, he was. And First Security Bank had a gigantic influence on 
the foundation that became what was the juggernaut of Grizz sports back in 1993. The Grizz were in the playoffs. They wanted to host a game. The University of Montana didn't know if it was a good financial leap to try to host that game. So Bill Boucher got a bunch of local business guys together. First Security Bank was at the head of that to spearhead a group of local businesses to guarantee the bid for UM Athletics. And, of course, Montana sold that game out and sold out pretty much every playoff game since then. Two years later, the University of Montana turned for Security Bank's local optimism into national providence when the Grizz won the Division One AA National Championship. And 25 years later, for Security Bank, still a proud sponsor, and they are so proud to sponsor Grizz Greats, the silver anniversary of the 1995 National Champions, a 25-part podcast series remembering that epic season for Security Bank, a proud supporter of Grizz Athletics and the University of Montana. We transition out of Montana football into Seattle Seahawk football. 12 for the 12s. The Seahawks taking on the San Francisco 49ers in what has become a big, big game again this season. We'll talk with Mike Dugar of The Athletic next. What are your business challenges for 2021? Supporting an increased remote workforce? Securing and managing your expanding corporate network? Communicating with your customers, employees, and partners? Whatever your challenges and priorities for 2021, Blackfoot Communications knows it all starts with a plan. We are here to help you assess, design, implement, and support your most critical technology infrastructure initiatives. Call Blackfoot at 866-541-5000 or email business at blackfoot.com to learn how we can set you up for success in 2021 and beyond. Blackfoot, connect to more. So I just opened by saying uh, Mike Dugar, a good friend from The Athletic, joining us. Mike, I had nothing to do with whatever it is that we're listening to on that rejoin right there. It's Tutel and Nuanas, 1029 ESPN Radio, SWX Montana Television. At Gus Tutel at 1029 ESPN, at Skyline Sports MT on Twitter. Every Friday about this time, we welcome in our good friend, the aforementioned Mike Dugar from The Athletic, covers the Seattle Seahawks there. You can follow him at Mike Dugar. You can also listen to him on the Seahawks Man-to-Man podcast. We go now to the Rangage Brothers RV phone line and welcome in him in. Mike, what are you listening to these days? Because it can't be worse than whatever that was. I know that for sure. <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't know what you guys had going on there. That was... Uh... <laughs> Oh, that was man. that was interesting. If you need some requests on my end, let, let yeah. me know. If you'd send us a playlist here for for my music, but uh, uh, I, I can find you some from some stuff for sure. The new Ty Dolla Sign is pretty good. Maybe maybe start there. Mike, I remember when I first started following you on Twitter. This is actually I think before you even were at the Athletic. You used to have this thing where you tweet the song of the day. Was that automated or was that you were you picking those out like around midnight every single night? Yeah. So it's. Song of the Day started in, like, 2014 when I was still at Washington State, and it used to be a reflection of how my day went, right? Mm. But then I, when I got more followers, um, I realized that, okay, I'm giving these strangers way too much insight into my life. Like, if it was a romantic song or a very sappy song mm. or a party song, it was like, you can kind of piece together what I'm doing, and I just, like, didn't feel comfortable with that after a while. So now it's just whatever song I've been jamming to. Uh, lately, and yeah, I always do it at the end of the day. Everyone asks me that. Like, I do it at the end of the day to kind of reflect what I what my vibe was like still that day, or what the best song I heard that day was. Um, 
So that, that's kind of the history of that. I mean, you see, that's the whole thing, right? I went for University of Idaho coverage and stayed for the song of the day, and yeah. now here we are talking about the Seahawks. So go follow my man Mike Dugar on Twitter because it is. It's good It's good content. It's what we're here for I on know, Twitter. I can safely say Mike Dugar never tweeted that damn thing out, whatever it was <laughs> there, that's for sure. Uh, Mike? I have had some diverse songs on there. I've had, like, I've had like David Bowie. Well, um, I mean, can you do uh, better like than Bruce David Bowie? Oh, man. Let's... I've had, like, just random people that I don't listen to get suggested. So, like, it's a, Song of the Day is, like, is not uh, exclusive. Like, I let everybody get a shot to request a Song of the Day. That's, you're, you're very broad that way. One of the things we like about you, man. I appreciate that. Hey, let's talk a little Seahawks. Uh, they, they, they lose to the Cardinals. Uh, the, you know, I said this on the show this week. Whether you like the Seahawks or whether you don't, my goodness, if they just don't deliver on your entertainment dollar week in and week out. I mean, are you kidding me? How do you not? I mean, it got to be a blast to cover this team and go to these games and see what you see, even when it's you're going, well, what are you doing? But all of a sudden, next thing you know, it's a game that goes nine minutes and 45 seconds into overtime. But they do lose. And after all that, they're 0-1 in division, right? The Seahawks are. So where are you at with Seattle? And did you see... What we know to have been a flaw finally get exploited in a way that really cost Seattle on on Sunday last week. I, I will start by addressing what you opened with, and that no one likes the Seahawks more than uh, TV stations. Because yeah, my goodness, right. they are gold. Like compared to the game, because you know, that game got flexed into Sunday night over the um, Bucks and Raiders because of the COVID scare over in Vegas. And it was just a way better game. Like the three Sunday night games Seattle has had this year have all been, like, three of the best, I don't know, like, five games of the year. Right. You know, so, like, the Seahawks are delivering on their win or lose. Like, you're right. The entertainment value is is there. And um, I got to give a shout-out, this specific game, to Steve Rabel, who I watched the game with uh, at Central League Field. I didn't travel to Glendale. I, I watched the game in the booth with him and Dave Wyman on the Seahawks radio network. And just kind of to watch how they were calling a game from, like, 1,400 miles away and with all the moving parts, social distancing with the producers, like it was very, very impressive and enlightening too. I learned a lot uh, watching uh, Dave Wyman, uh, seeing what he's seeing because uh, they have the all twenty-two footage in there, so they don't have just the broadcast view. They can see the safeties all the way back to the referees, right? Um, the whole time. So yeah, it was it was that aspect of it was really fascinating. And then yeah, to the game itself. I mean, I've known for weeks now that the, the, they're going to lose a game because. The defense stinks. Um, but what's, what also happened on Sunday night was that they lost because Russell wasn't perfect, and I knew that was going to happen as well. You know, uh, one of the things that everybody's like on let Russ cook, which he has been, but now coming out of this week, I've heard some, hey, let's let Russ simmer. You know what I mean? Like, like let, let, him, <laughs> let him be who he is. Uh, at his best, you know, a handful of times. Don't make him be it every single time or else, yeah, if you have to be perfect to win, you're not going to win all the time. In fact, you're going to lose maybe more often than you think you will. So what, what do you think about that where all of a sudden maybe we're seeing the limits of what can or should be put on Russell Wilson, great as he is? You know, I think I had to be really critical of Russ after the game on our podcast because, like, while asking him to be perfect is unfair, asking him to not throw a game-ending interception in overtime is not unrealistic. Sure. Or like, that's just a standard explanation for your franchise quarterback, right? Like, you could the pick he threw to DK um, was like him and DK got their wires crossed. Like, that's fine. The goal line pick is inexcusable. The inter- overtime pick is inexcusable. Like, independent of how many times he throws the ball, those throws cannot happen. 
right? Like that because what the interception did was it put losing back into the equation. Like at that point in the game, they were probably either going to punt and tie or go down and win the game, right? And then he single-handedly brought losing back into the fold, and they ultimately lost. Like my, one of my homies texted me uh, talking about Russ's game. I was like, Russ had a Jameis game. He threw for a lot of yards, had a lot of great plays, <laughs> right. and threw three picks, yeah. one of which cost the team the game. Like that, that was a Jameis game, right? Like asking Russ to be Mahomes every week, unreal, unrealistic. Asking him to just not ever be Jameis, that's fair. And he did he didn't deliver on that part. Like I know on your man to man podcast, you broke down for in quite good detail all the ails the Seattle Seahawks defensively right now. But give us just the synopsis. What are the biggest issues right now with the Seattle Seahawks defense? How do they fix them? So I actually went back and watched all six games. Oh, actually, no, I didn't watch the Patriots game again because I, I just kind of knew the, the issues there. Like, it was clearly not having Quandre Diggs, which is why the middle of the field was wide open, and Julian Edelman had, I think, the best regular season game we've ever had in his life. Um, but, like, my, my kind of total takeaways were there's a lot of coverage busts um, in the middle of the field, and I think the newness. With guys there is showing up. Like if you even notice that forty-one yarder on the crossing pattern uh, to the tight end against Arizona, like that dude had no one fifteen yards of him. You go back and look, and Ugo bit fifteen yards to the line of scrimmage on play action, left his guy wide open. You know, Shaq busts the coverage um, again uh, to give up Christian Kirk's first touchdown. Like the play calls, some of them are fine. They just don't account for like a missed tackle here, a blown coverage there, and that's kind of been a theme throughout the year. Um, another issue. They can't really survive injuries. And that's not unique to the Seahawks. Like, most teams cannot, right, which is why defense from year to year is so unstable because it's so reliant on health, whereas offense you can kind of plug and play a little more, bit more and scheme around bad players. These guys, I mean, like, putting in Cody against the Vikings, I don't think it was a coincidence that the Vikings ran for, like, 200 yards, right? Like, they had a lot of things making Cody have to work and think and make plays. And he did in the end, but... A lot of the yardage, I think, went to his direction. There's just been a lot of instances where the defense has seen, like, okay, this guy is not as good as he should be. Let's go at him, whether it's Shaq against the Cowboys, Trey against the Cowboys. There's just been so many instances where Ken Norton's put in such a bind because guys just aren't delivering when targeted or just, like, where it's in the run or the pass. I'm not really sure how to fix that. Like, I, I told somebody that earlier this week, I said, man, I watched all the film. And I didn't feel good about any of that. Like, even getting Jamal back, this team's probably just average on defense, which isn't saying a lot. Mike Dugard joining us. He covers the Seahawks for The Athletic. He joins us every Friday uh, to talk Seahawks 12 for the 12s right here on ESPN Radio at Mike Dugard on Twitter. Mike, a question about a couple of the uh, reinforcements that are either on the way or already in Seattle. I saw you tweeted about an hour ago. Uh, that Damon Snacks Harrison may be ready to play on Sunday. What's his status update? And then also tell us about Carlos Dunlap. I know they traded for him earlier this week. What sort of an addition is the former Cincinnati Bengal defensive end of the Seahawks front line? Okay, so the other thing I didn't mention about why the defense isn't performing well is because their front four can do nothing by themselves. I don't even like being too critical of guys like that, but they just cannot. And you can see they're coaching like it as well. Ken is – he's. What Ken Norton is doing is actually getting a lot of uh, four-man pressures, but he's just mixing who the four guys are, right? So if you notice, like, watch Jaron Reed on Sunday on passing downs. Like, you might see him dropping into the middle linebacker zone 
which is then filled by like KJ or Bobby and then Ryan Neal crashing off the edge and then Benson dropping into the flat. Like he's getting a lot of four and five man pressures, but he's like, he's only sending like two defensive linemen at a time and bringing in linebackers and DBs because there's just not a lot of like guys on the front line who can beat the dude in front of them. At the very least, if Carlos Dunlap is a guy who can beat the dude in front of him, he's a huge upgrade. Like, that's become the baseline for a productive defensive end in this scheme is can you beat the guy in front of you? Because it's just not happening. It really is not. I think Benson Mayoa leads the team in pressures with 14, and everyone else is under is in single digits because they're just not getting home on the quarterback. So, yeah, I think Carlos will help there. I don't know if Snacks will help in that regard. Um, but, I mean, maybe he keeps Jaron Reed fresh or Puna fresh so they don't have to, you know, uh, be breathing, sucking air, you know, in the fourth quarter when they need uh, quarterback pressures because the pressure is just atrocious. You know, we talked uh, about the entertainment that the Seahawks have been delivering, but as far as I'm concerned, no question, the two best regular season games last season was Seattle-San Francisco twice. I mean, those were unbelievable football games both times. They get the San Francisco 49ers again. Mike, I've been on the, the Niners kind of this week, but then I look back. They lost the Cardinals week one. Then they beat the Jets and the Giants, who are stank and stunk, respectively. They lose the Eagles and Dolphins. I know they were, they've were they been decimated, terrible injuries. But now they start getting it a little bit back, and they've been rolling the last two weeks. They beat the Rams. That's their best win to me. The Patriots are also down. And so now I'm thinking, well, okay, they beat three bad teams. They beat one Rams team who we're still trying to figure out what they are. But they clearly look better. They're running the ball well, which is what they want to do. They've gotten some guys back. And, you know, when fully healthy, this is a team that is maybe the class of the NFC. Where are we at with San Francisco right now headed into this game? Yeah, so my the way I kind of – I use Football Outsiders DVOA model, which is um, – I think it's defensive, defense adjusted value over average, um, which is basically an efficiency metric that, like, accounts for all the uh, context that you're providing with, like, the strength of schedule. So, yeah, it accounts for, like, okay, you beat a team by 30, but it was an Adam Gase team, so you really beat a team by, like, 15. Right. right? So, like, it accounts for that. You know, it, it, it adjusts um, – in that way. So I, I actually like that metric. Uh, our Ben Baldwin at The Athletic, people probably follow him on Twitter. Uh, he has a, an advanced, like, box score website that shows you, like, the expected points added on offense and defense for each team. That's also an efficiency metric for the most part. San Francisco is really high in both of those, right? So that's to say that they have beat some teams they should have whooped. But, like, that also shows that they are a good team. And they're probably the only team more injured than the in the Seahawks, and, like, I wrote this morning that, like, Ken Norton and Pete Carroll can probably say confidently, look, we got banged up, and this ain't the unit that we expected, which is why we stink, right? But that excuse will not hold that much weight if you lose to the 49ers who are more banged up. I mean, they played Cam Newton without their top four DBs, and Cam got benched. They're, like, they're, they're incredibly injured and are still putting out a top ten defense. So there really isn't a good excuse. That means that just means you guys aren't coaching it up right. I mean, that's just what it says to me. So, yeah, I, I really actually am very impressed with the 49ers, the way they've been able to just kind of weather the storm. And I'll add their game against the Saints into, like, I think all the top three games last year all had the 49ers in them. Both the Seahawks games and then when Jimmy G threw for, like, a gazillion yards against the Saints. Uh, like, the, the Niners are a really good team. So, with that being said, the Seahawks coming off a loss – 
and 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 the the, the Niners surgering. What do you expect out of this matchup? Because this becomes, especially with the one loss for Seattle in division, a, a big game for Seattle here now in the midpoint of the season. Yeah, I think I think how the game starts is going to be really important because uh, Pete Carroll referenced the, the 2019 NFC Championship game, of course, where Jimmy G threw eight passes and they ran for like 250-something yards, I believe, as a blueprint for what San Francisco would like to do. And he's right. That is what they would like to do. They would like to just ground and pound this thing down Seattle's throat, have Jimmy G throw one pass if he possibly can uh, and win the game. Yeah. So I think if Seattle gets it, gets it to a point where they get out early, like they have been, like get up 14-3 to three or something like that, maybe even 17-3, to 17-6 at halftime, just what, get a two-score lead like Russ has been able to do and force them to have to trust Jimmy G. Because if you guys watched that Sunday night football game against the Rams and Niners, one thing I took away was none of these coaches trust their quarterback to win them a game. <laughs> uh, so that's that's going to be the key. Put the game in the hands of Jimmy Garoppolo and cross your fingers because I know this defense is not performing well in just about any metric other than uh, forcing turnovers in which they are great. But uh, if anything is going to cure an ailing defense, it is a quarterback like Jimmy G who cannot throw downfield and all of his receivers are like on IR. Subscribe to The Athletic for a myriad of reasons. The top of that list to read Mike Dugar. You're going to follow him at Mike Dugar on Twitter. Listen to him on the Seahawks Man to Man podcast. Mike, as always, appreciate it, man. Look forward to catching up with you next week, all right? All right. Thanks for having me. For what it's worth, I think the Seahawks will win the game. I forgot to mention that. That is actually that. That's on me. I should. I was. I was so wrapped up in the analysis, I didn't even get a final answer here. So you got this. The Seahawks a dub. Go to six and one for Mike Dugar. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. Thank you, Mike. Mike Dugar, boys and girls, appreciate him joining us each and every Friday, giving us some insight. Of course, we will have this game for you on Sunday afternoon, right here on ESPN Radio, Seattle, San Francisco. Uh, really, one of the games of the week uh, here. Uh, uh, I think what certainly uh, Pittsburgh, Baltimore is probably the top nationally in terms of those. Certainly. You know, those two teams going head to head, but. I think, okay, my, my money, even with the loss last week, these are the two best teams in the division. Mm-hmm. I am absolutely dying on the hill that is, this is not questionably the best division in football, and this is a huge game. And this, these are the two games last year that decided the whole thing, decided it all, home field advantage and everything. So um, I'm, I'm pumped up about this game. This is a big, big game, and, and the people that are uh, you know invested in the West and the NFC West, this is this is one of the games of the year that's been circled for a long, long time. So looking forward to this coming up here in 48 hours, less than actually now. We make so much of college sports rivalries. Mm-hmm. Anything could happen in the Iron Bowl. It doesn't matter. Right, if, right. It doesn't matter if Alabama's three touchdowns better than Auburn. Anything could happen in the Iron Bowl. Anything could happen in the Cat Grizz game. Anything could happen. It's interesting to me that we don't make as big of a deal about professional, uh, specifically football rivalries. Mm-hmm. This rivalry. It's a rivalry. These dudes want to throw down. You mentioned about the Pittsburgh and Baltimore game. Yeah, I don't. I think that's the best rivalry in the National Football League. Which then, in turn, if you extrapolate it in terms of just the skill and ferocity that is accompanies the rivalry, it is the greatest football rivalry on the planet at this exact moment. <laughs> so I don't yeah. understand though why we don't put more into that. I mean, we're talking about the Steelers and the Ravens and the matchups and all that. Here's the thing we didn't talk about. We talked about it on the Make It Rainy podcast. We talked about it on this show. It could just be. 
whatever defense wants to kill the other team's offense. That could be the factor. Interior run game, outside the pocket, Lamar Jackson containing whatever. If T.J. Watt and Cameron Hayward just go berserk, Pittsburgh could win. Yeah. On the other hand, though, if Clays Campbell and Patrick Queen just go crazy, all of a sudden, Baltimore can win by three touchdowns. I think we don't give enough credit to the rivalry aspects of the NFL. And and the people who've been following, this will never get that sort of level of love nationally. Right. But Seattle, San Francisco is not a happy place to be. Right. Which makes it great for football fans. For sure. So uh, look forward to this one. going to be a great football weekend. Quick break on the other side. Student of the week out of uh, uh, Belgrade, Montana. Katie Clyde next. Coulter, obviously, if people are traveling, you got to have them stay somewhere else, not with you. That's true even when COVID isn't going on, and especially now. So you send them out to the wind gate. We know that. That's obvious. What you might not know is about all the meeting space they have out there, convention space, and even personal office space, because God knows I can't stand being with you any much longer. I'm going out there. I'm going to lock up my own personal office at the wind gate. You can do the same thing. If you need a business space, whether it's for yourself personally or or you're just tired of doing Zoom meetings, you just want to see other humans, but you want to be socially distanced, the Wingate has great business meeting rooms. You can space out. They have all the hookups and technology you're going to need for any sort of meeting or presentation. Or if you're like Ryan and you just want to have a place where you can work in peace and quiet, the Wingate Inn also a great option for those that live and work around Western Montana and the city of Missoula. If you have anybody coming through town or you want to get your kids out of the house, Wingate also has awesome rooms, great business rates. The pool is back open. They've done a great job of making sure that's going be safe for you and your family. The Wingate Inn, located in Missoula, it's an excellent option for business travelers, local business people, or anybody coming through the city of Missoula. Let the Wingate Inn make you feel at home even when you're not. Welcome back to Tell 102.9 ESPN Radio, SWX Montana Television at Gus Tutel on Twitter at 1029 ESPN on Twitter at Skyline Sports MT on Twitter. You getting a hint here, people? Go to the social medias. That's where we have all kinds of fun. We go now to the Rangich Brothers RV phone line and we welcome in our mattress firm student of the week. She's a senior at Belgrade High School. Katie Clyde joining us. Katie, thank you so much for being here. We appreciate it. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for the opportunity. Happy to have you on. Thanks for being here. And you have been uh, one busy young student, I'll tell you that. You've been, let's start here, cheering, right? Doing cheerleading in motion yeah. uh, stuff for like 11 years. How did you get into that? Um, well, I was really into gymnastics at a really young age. And so my friend was into cheerleading. And so I was like, I'll give that a shot. Well, it caught my eye right away. And now I wouldn't trade it for the world. And in addition to doing that, you're also helping out the youngsters as well, right? Like second graders and stuff like that, or even smaller. I don't know. how. how what kind of kids are you helping with so, some of this early on stuff? Uh, at the cheer gym, I work with kids ages 3 to about 15. Wow, so what's the biggest difference when you're working with a 3-year-old and a 15-year-old? It seems like your coaching has to be a lot different in that situation. <laughs> yeah, it's really hard. It's hard to get used to the age difference. Um, I have different classes, though, working with three- and five-year-olds in one class and then working with all different ages in other classes. Um, it's You have to learn how they like to be taught best. Um, 
obviously it's so different between a three-year-old and 15-year-old, but after a while you just get used to it and it becomes easier as time goes on. Gymnastics is so fascinating because a lot of times your peak as a gymnast might be when you're not very old. I mean, 12, 14, maybe 16. Yeah. But, but a lot of times it is when you're a lot younger. So how has it changed for you doing gymnastics and also teaching gymnastics as you've gotten older and grown taller and all those different factors? Yeah. Um, being the cheer coach, it's also taught me how to coach myself better. Um, so I would say I had some of the highest skills when I was 14 probably. And from there, I've just had like little increases, but being at such a high level at that age, it's hard to increase from, like, being so, like, talented. And um, I have taught these girls for, what, five years now? Um, so I have taught them quite a bit of what they know, and I'm, I couldn't be more proud of that. Um, it has really, really impacted my own skills for the most part. Katie Clyde joining us. She's our Mattress Firm Student of the Week out of Belgrade High School. And Katie, in addition to all that, you're you're a 4.0 student and uh, and really looking uh, to next year as you're a senior there at Belgrade. Tell the folks what you're going to be up to now uh, coming out of high school. Uh, so leaving high school, I want to study radiation technology at Butte. It's where both of my parents went to school, and so it's always just caught my eye. Uh, after radiation technology, I really want to move out of the state for a little bit and either study sonography or radiation therapy. Now, what in the world do those have to do with one another? Radiation therapy and stenography, <laughs> for crying out loud. I mean, that's that's two different ends of things, isn't it? Yeah, it's totally opposite sides of the spectrum. And right now, I'm open to all ideas. I've always loved to work with babies, and so that's what got me into sonography. Um, I just love learning about the development and how they form. And radiation therapy, uh, I've been personally impacted by someone with cancer. And so I feel like being able to help people in those situations, just being able to help one person with cancer can affect so many people that they know. Well, that's fantastic. That's awesome that you're going to go to Montana Tech next year and and continue to pursue that stuff. And uh, excited about the rest of this year. Now, tell me this: when it comes to the cheerleading side of things, we know it is a very weird year, but they're still having the cheerleaders out to games and stuff like that. Has it been going okay for you? Yeah. So my type of cheerleading that I do, we don't cheer at games. We compete across the nation. Um, as of right now, we haven't gotten into any competition, but season usually doesn't start until November, December. So we're hoping to actually get out and do competitions then, but it all depends on the amount of cases we have and all the different protocols that will be in play. Explain the, that a little bit to people because I think that maybe they don't understand that there's a distinct difference between competitive cheer and maybe what you're doing during a high school game or you know high school yeah. events and stuff like that. So what is the biggest differences? So I participated in both, and I've noticed with high school cheerleading, it's all just uh, it's more of a club. And it's just a fun activity to do after school. You just cheer with your friends at a game. Uh, whereas competitive cheerleading is exactly how it sounds. It's all competitive. You do a two-minute and 30-second routine. Um, you perform in front of thousands and thousands of people, um, and you are almost graded on how well you perform in your stunts, your tumbling, your jumps, and your dance. 
And so it gets super, super competitive. We're graded on like a 100-point scale. And like a 92% is considered really, really good. On um, this past year, my team scored a 94. Wow. Uh, which got us our, our bid to D2. Yeah. Well, Coulter and I are doing competitive radio. None of that club stuff. We're getting in here. We're getting we're getting we're getting graded and everything in front of the masses. So you know, we'll see how we do. But uh, Katie, we appreciate you being with us again. Our absolute best to you uh, as you have the competition season coming up here uh, on the cheer side, and then Montana Tech and radiation and perhaps stenography beyond that. So we appreciate you being here. Okay. Awesome. Thank you. You bet. Thank you. About that mattress what a nice firm. Gal. What a nice gal. That mattress from student of the week, Katie Clyde, out of Belgrade. Hey, four student too. I would never know. <laughs> I, I mean, I've known people who Did are. Did you get a four Absolutely not. That's just a failure. No, no. What I, you know, what I'm in it for. You know, um, you're in it to be the best version of yourself. I'm in it for value. Hmm. Div- I wasn't like this when I was younger, though, actually. I did not get a 4.0 either. Divide uh, divide time spent and effort by grade point average. Mm. I come out really high. Mm. But uh, just the grade point average, not so much. Not a hugely motivated student, as it turned out. Um, not a hugely motivated man, as it turns out. <laughs> <laughs> it sort of sticks with you. But if you got a motivated kid, oh, by God, you get him in here. God. We'll be happy to talk to him. Maybe we can learn something. Magic Firm Students of the Week. You go to magicfirmmt.com. You can nominate a student no matter what they're doing. Uh, you know, sports, otherwise, you know, it could be bad. It could be debate. It could be anything. And also, you know, hopefully giving back in some way, trying to do something good in their schools, communities, families, et cetera. Very, very broad. And uh, each week, we'll have the Student of the Week here on this show. Uh, uh, our friends at SWX will do a feature for you on the TV side of things and in the spring we will uh, have a vote for the Match From Student of the Year who will receive a $3,000 scholarship from uh, from Match From so very very cool hour number one of the books hour two straight ahead our Garden City Spotlight Matt Johnson the head coach of the Big Sky Eagles the Eagles the only double A school in the city of Missoula in action in the first round of the playoffs tonight they are at Glacier we'll talk to him next It's finally starting to feel like winter around here, and if you need some nice winter gear, how about the fine folks at Sitka? They make awesome winter clothes, and they sell custom Bobcat Sitka gear at the MSU Bookstore. You can shop online anytime at msubookstore.org, or of course you can check out the MSU Bookstore live and in person there on the Montana State campus. They also have some graduation regalia back in order there at the MSU Bookstore. They have an awesome American Indian Council selection as well. Visit on campus anytime you need blue and gold or visit online anytime, anywhere, msubookstore.org. MSU Bookstore, your best place for blue and gold on game day or any other day located there on the Montana State campus.